Welcome to Smart Software with Smart Logic, a podcast where we talk about best practices in web and mobile software development with a focus on new and emerging technologies. My name is Justice Epen, and I'll be your host today. I'm a developer at Smart Logic, a Baltimore-based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. From the Smart Logic team today, we have myself and my colleague Eric Ostrich. Eric, say hi. Hello. Eric and I are working on season two of the podcast, and the theme of season two is Elixir Internals, where we've been talking about the inner workings of several Elixir libraries. Today, we're joined by the author of Token Alchemist, Meryl Dakin. Hello. (laughs) Thank you guys for having me. We are so glad that you could join us. We usually start with a quick introductory question. You know, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, how you got started with Elixir, that sort of thing? Totally. Yeah. So I am a software engineer at the Flatiron School, which is owned by WeWork in New York City. And I have been there for two years. The first year I was a teacher at the Flatiron School boot camp. So we run a coding boot camp for people who are interested in career changing or just want to get a job in the web development industry. And before that, I was actually a career changer myself. So I went through the Flatiron Bootcamp program. Uh, Previously, I was an English major with lots of job prospects, but uh, decided that this would be a better direction for me. And then as far as Elixir goes, so at the Flatiron School, a lot of people ask this, we do not teach Elixir in the program. But on our engineering team, we have some big advocates for the language. And we've used it in three projects now that are outside of our main monolith application. Um, And what our application does is it works both internally for a lot of the processes that we have at the school. So like registration, um, admissions, that kind of thing. And then also it serves curriculum content to students and records their progress. So that's kind of how I got into Elixir is through a couple of the applications that we're using at the Flatiron School right now. I will um, plug Flatiron School because I believe we have someone here at Smart Logic that was a student at Flatiron. And I also just plug boot camps in general. I also am a boot camp grad, and I think that they are a great new form of education. Eric, do you want to get started on some of these questions? Sure. So I guess we can we can start with. Uh, so since you went through the Flatiron, they teach Ruby, right? Yes, they Um, do. So what was it like with the transition from Ruby to Elixir? Totally. I think that this is probably a pretty common experience. There's a lot of Rubyists in the Elixir community. Um, And the first thing you notice, of course, coming from Ruby is that the language looks a little similar. So syntactically, you've got a lot of the same like feels. And then you find out that it's not quite similar (laughs) in a lot of ways. So like, learning a foreign language, you've got those false friends where you're like, oh, that isn't what I thought it would be. So I think it's initially, you know, it's really exciting to come into it knowing a couple of the things that it solves from the Ruby side. People are really excited about the opportunities for concurrency and fault tolerance in Elixir that just aren't necessarily built right into the Ruby language. But that's where I think it gets difficult too. So coming to that, a lot of the big things that were on my mind were like, okay, so like, what are processes? Like, how are we going to achieve concurrency with these basic building blocks in Elixir that I'm not used to? And I think one of the biggest things that kind of like 
helped me get over that hump was understanding a little bit more about the history of Elixir and Erlang and stretching back as far as understanding that both object-oriented languages and the ancestor of Erlang came from the idea of like message passing and the actor model and all of these things. So even though it's a little bit of a jump to go from OO to functional programming, it's super exciting, especially working on applications where you see how, how much help it can give you. There's an example of an application that we rebuilt basically in Elixir on the back end, and we were really able to see like what we gained in terms of those things. So that, that was really exciting to get into Elixir and see all that. So I'd love to stay on this topic for just a minute because you said that at Flatiron, they're not teaching Elixir, but they're using it on the back end. Maybe one day they will. Mm -hmm. I'm curious from your experience coming from a Ruby background, you mentioned processes. I'm wondering like what are the top, you know, one to three language features that you think maybe are tricky for newcomers to Elixir? Like if you were going to start teaching Elixir, what do you think would be sort of, sort of the, you know, like the tricky gotchas that you'd maybe focus on helping people understand early on? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the main concept that we have to sort of unlearn going from OO to Elixir is the idea of binding data to functions. So uh, in Ruby, when we're used to learning that an object has methods, it has these functions attached to it, and it has this internal state that it acts upon with these methods, that is, that is some like deep unlearning that we have to do coming into Elixir. Understanding how what the concept of like state is in processes, how we're storing state, quote unquote, through this like idea of recursively calling a function within a process or something like that. Those are big ideas, but when we start to break it down, I think when we start to break it down to that level, then it becomes a lot more clear. Like, oh, I remember like this is state. It's just in a different way here. So I think that that's the biggest thing is, is going back to the very basics of Elixir. And I think as a programmer, when we're, when we're not new to programming and we're coming to it from another language, often we'll jump right into the bigger questions like using OTP, uh, gen servers, these kinds of things. And I did that. And so like jumping into gen servers and OTP right away, like it was a lot harder without first understanding the basics of like a gen server is a process with a behavior. And this is why it would make sense to use it in this way. And this is why it wouldn't in these cases. So I think that's one of the things pattern matching is another one that gets really confusing really fast without taking the time to break that down. And then once I think you get used to that kind of stuff, going back to Ruby is hard because you expect there to be these cool features that Elixir has given you and the built-in idea of making your functions fault tolerant, that Ruby just doesn't have built into the language. Yeah, I can confirm that after doing Elixir for several years at this point, my Ruby code is now a lot more functional looking. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. Um, and it really helps you remember when you're back in Ruby land, you're like, oh, what if this doesn't work? Then what? <laughs> So I think it does help a lot uh, shifting between the languages. You gain something there. Yeah, I think I've accidentally done like updating a, a hash in Ruby and it's like, oh, let me just use a function to like reassign the whole thing. Whoops, don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, ugh. <laughs> ugh. 
Um, okay, so let's let's jump into uh, Token Alchemist. So what is this? What was it trying to solve? Yeah. Totally. Okay, so I'll give a brief overview, but to understand like what this was solving, I'll probably have to go back a little further. But basically, all this little library does is generates an OAuth signature for a set of parameters. And the use case for this we found in a project that we were working on. But to focus on this library for a second, our specific use case, we have these parameters coming in and to generate an OAuth token with those, we're basically going to string them all together and then run it through like this encryption method with the secret and that string of the parameters and then match it up to the signature that's coming in so that we can both see that uh, this person is authorized to come to this endpoint and also that the data is in the proper form. So that's really all this library does for us. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into the why I have it now or if you have more questions right away on this. Please do, actually. I think that that might be helpful to get into a little bit more of the problem area. Okay, so last uh, project we were on, we were integrating our main platform, which is called Learn.co, with another company. So they wanted to license Learn.co for use uh, in their business. Learn.co for students is this curriculum provider. So a student will go to a lesson. They see the lesson on the page. There is an in-browser IDE that comes with it, written in Elixir. And so they will, either it's a readme where they just read through it and they say, okay, I'm done reading and they can go to the next lesson, or it's a lab. So they can open up the in-browser IDE, there's some code in there, they make the tests pass, and then they can submit it. And so the company that we were working with, they provide sort of, if you can imagine like a Skillshare sort of thing where you've got a lot of lessons and then you can have some interactive stuff or videos, they provide this to universities. And data science in particular is something we've gotten into. So we have Python labs uh, and readme's in our curriculum now, and we have our IDE set up to handle those things. So say we have a data science professor that wants to make use of our technology. They also might have video lectures or uh, other readme's outside of these like interactive lessons that they want to include in the curriculum. So our piece just is like one lesson might be from learn one piece of this whole curriculum, this whole syllabus that you have might be coming through Learn. So we needed to have a way for uh, this like outer company to provide Learn lessons as one of the types of lessons that students can do in this like university data science course. So when we started figuring out how this was going to work, how are we going to have our application talk to the main one that is going to encapsulate it with all these other lessons, the way that we went about it was using LTI, which uh, is, stands for Learning Tools Interoperability, I think. And it is basically just a protocol. So it is a standard set of parameters that our application can use to talk to another application and also relies on OAuth to authenticate the calls that we're making. And the reason that we went with this is because before we were just sort of like thinking of creating a bespoke set of like 
endpoints that we would use to interact with this other company. But LTI is hopefully going to become more universally used between providers of tools like learn.co and then consumers of those tools like maybe a Skillshare might look like, right? So we wanted to not only have this company be able to interact with other tool providers in the same way as they're interacting with us, but we also wanted to start setting Learn up to be a tool provider for possibly other companies that we wanted to interact with. So do you have any questions so far about all of that stuff? Because that was a lot. So I want to talk a little bit about LTIs, but before we do like, I want to like, if we can really zero in on token alchemist and, and, and maybe even if, if you have it in front of you, maybe kind of walk us through the code a little bit Sure. Um, because it's a very simple library. And so it's yes. actually the type of thing where, you know, we could kind of kind of get into the weeds a little bit without losing, you know, while being able to keep it all in working memory for people listening. Yeah, totally. Okay. So the reason we're using this is because we want to make a request to the endpoint that Learn is consuming with a certain parameter that we weren't able to use with uh, the LTI simulator. So if we want to look at the code, and would you like me to screen share this right now for you guys? Sure, I'm, I'm looking at it on GitHub right now. Okay, great. Um, so you, you can either screen share, but you don't you don't have to. Okay, so to start it with the token alchemist, there is uh, just two main files. One is a file for JSON to put uh, parameters in that you would want to use in this API call. And the other one is the token alchemist file itself. The only function that we would call on token alchemist is the first one, which is transmute. And what that's going to do is grab the parameters from the JSON file and then pass it into function that generates that OAuth signature. So within this generate OAuth signature, what we're doing here, the first thing we're calling is this crypto module, which is an Erlang module, because in Elixir, we can drop directly down into Erlang and use those functions. So we're using crypto with a specific type of signature that we're going to use, and we're passing in the secret that uh, we've, we've included in our parameters, and also the entire parameter string. And then we're encoding that with base64. Just so I'm clear, it sounds like you were using some sort of like LTI, you called it a simulator. So that would allow you to do like some default parameters that are built into the protocol. And so what this is allowing you to do is to add custom parameters to the signature that you're generating. Definitely. And while LTI does allow for custom parameters, there is one parameter that we needed to use that the simulator does not have built into it yet. So they have that available as part of the LTI spec but the simulator itself is lacking this one field. So if we did pass it in as a custom parameter, it would be seen as a custom parameter instead of this one field that we needed to make use of. And so we used this because we were going to include this field uh, with the proper key in Postman, along with the the OAuth generated signature that we're gonna pass along with it. Gotcha. And do you wanna talk a little bit about maybe the, the process that you went through as far as, I mean, learning OAuth, maybe you've done OAuth before, like dealing with this. So, so maybe that's not quite as interesting, but you know, you clearly had to dive into the weeds of a protocol here. And I'm just curious, like, what was that learning process? Like what resources did you use that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, I uh, really relied on different projects that we had worked on before 
and also a lot of just searching around for what OAuth looked like in Elixir. And a lot of what I found was that because this is so easily accessible in Erlang, this crypto module, that would be the best thing for us to rely on to use this in this project. So it was a pretty simple, uh, it's not actually like a very complicated call here that we have in the generating the OAuth signature, but it did take some like, poking around to figure out what was best to use in Elixir. Was it something in Elixir or was it something to drop into Erlang for? Yeah, and I've, I've used this, uh, the crypto library, just scrolling through the docs again. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a very big module. So like yeah. figuring out the like tiny thing that you need out of this thing is, is uh, not the easiest. Yeah, well, we, we have a lot of great people on our team that were also super supportive. So it was a group effort. <laughs> So Meryl, you have this on GitHub and I'm curious, like you were obviously building this into a project. What was the process like for deciding that you wanted to pull it out into a separate, you know, repository that you put on your GitHub so other people could access? So this was definitely for our team internally to be able to access. And I imagine that there are going to be some cases, especially if other people are using LTI with an Elixir project, that they will need to use this particular key that we needed and won't be able to access it through the simulator. And just to plug the simulator, it is really great. It's an amazing tool to use while you're developing on this, but because we needed this, we had to have a workaround. Um, So originally what we were doing was basically getting into the console of our project and regenerating an OAuth signature every time we needed to send a request through Postman to test this out. Uh, And it was just really um, tedious. So it wasn't, it didn't take very long to pull the pieces out that we would need to use to create this, recreate it in the console by just calling a method on it, or uh, sorry, a function. Um, And the other thing that was difficult about it was when you're recreating this in the console, you've got to re-enter all those parameters every time. And if you mess up one piece of it, uh, you're gonna have to redo the whole thing. So having the parameters laid out in just an easy to read format in JSON in this project was really helpful. And anytime we needed to make like a little bitty change to those parameters, it wasn't a big lift to recreate this and generate a new token for us to use. Got it. And now at this point, I think we could probably circle back to the LTI question, which is like learning tools, interoperability. Can you, I mean, just give us sort of like the broad overview of what these are. We, the reason I'm personally interested is we've had some prospects, potential clients come through and talk about this a little bit sort of as a requirement for the project. And every single time it's like, oh yeah, this is something we'll have to learn and, and figure out and it never really looks super easy. So I'm just curious if you could kind of, kind of talk through some of the gotchas, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember when we first presented with LTI as the way forward that we were going to use, we also had a moment of like, this is a lot. This This is a huge amount of material to read through. A lot of it reads, if you look at any of the LTI docs, they read like academic papers, which kind of makes it a little daunting, I think, to get into. 
I, I think our first question for like a day was like, what is LTI? Like, is it an application? Is it uh, like a library? I, I think it took us a minute just to even get our heads around it. But all it is is a protocol. And once that became clear, the light bulb went off and we were like, oh, okay. So this is just going to be a standard way for our application to talk to another application. And the, the hard part about it is sort of mapping what we need and what that other company needs to these specified parameters. But they have pretty much everything that we wanted to be able to send through that would let our application know what is that consumer looking for in a lesson for me to serve up. And so the basic process is to send over these parameters from the consumer, which is going to be like, imagine the Skillshare iframe. And they're going to send a request over to learn and say, hey, can you serve me up the first lesson in the Ruby track for Merrill Dakin? And through those parameters, through learn, we'll look up that lesson and look up that student, send it back through. And then Skillshare will actually just show that in the iframe. And you can have all the interactivity that you want with the learn lesson that you would normally have going to learn.co's application, but through another, through another website. And I keep saying Skillshare, that is not, I don't think Skillshare is using this. So ignore that. But it, it's sort of just like an illustration of what that might look like. And so, yeah, so the first gotcha is just getting your head around what it is, reading through the docs, figuring out what you need. And then the second one is learning how to use their simulator, which is basically an LTI postman. And it has one for the consumer. So if I'm the consumer sending over requests to the uh, provider. That's the one we worked on the most because we were trying to get the best response out of Learn. But they also have the provider side. So the provider that's going to be like seeing that consumer input come in. And yeah, the, the, the tool itself is really useful, but it's a little dated, it feels like. So it takes a little while playing around with it to to know exactly what it's asking you to do. So it, in every section, if you, you need to save it and then save it before you send it over, etc. But all in all, uh, being able to have a tool like this to white label a product is, is pretty amazing. It sounds like an opportunity for another open source project, probably. Mm, probably. <laughs> do you have any considerations that Elixir developers in particular should keep in mind if they are considering projects that uses LTI? Um, that is a good question. And I would probably say not specifically. This was a project, yeah, that we were using both with Elixir and Ruby because the main application we're serving is in Ruby. But yeah, I think not specifically Elixir because this is just a protocol to send over data. So, so maybe for developers more generally, let's say some a client or prospective client comes in and this is uh, part of the spec. Do you have a sense of maybe like the learning curve in terms of time for someone to pick up this protocol and, and start using it in a project? I would say coming in cold, this takes a little while. Uh, it, it does about, I, I think about a week to just get ourselves straight with what we needed. And then it will take some time, I think, to figure out how to map what the consumer is looking for to the provider. The nice thing is that the consumer and provider sides can really work independently after figuring out 
what we're asking for from each other because of the tool that it provides. It's, it's mapped really nicely so that you can actually just have independent teams scaling on their own while you're working with this tool. But I would love for there to be just, and we've generated some blog posts and uh, some presentations around LTI just to sort of like give a more basic overview about what it is and what it can do for you. But I would I would love to see a little bit more material pop up around that because sifting through these docs does take some time. Yeah, just from my cursory look at the docs, they don't look super modern. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's uh, still beating an RFC, though. So there's HTML here. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, I was going to compare it to an RFC, actually. But <laughs> yeah. So we're coming up on time here. I do want to ask like a final question, which is, is sort of along the lines of, you know, this is like, you know, I think a, a small but useful library for people who are uh, potentially going to be using LTIs uh, in the Elixir project. As Elixir takes off in popularity, you know, these libraries do get a lot of use, I imagine. Curious, you know, like, do you have any other, like, projects on the horizon or, you know, things that you're working on that you think might end up in open source? So that's a good question. We made another small project during the course of this work that's an encrypt library. I mm -hmm. built that with my friend and colleague, Sophie DiBenedetto. And so that's something that's out there as well. Right now, there's nothing else that we're working on related to LTI. But I will say for anybody who is going to use LTI, um, the specific parameter that is missing is the resource link history IDs, which is a really cool part of the LTI spec that allows the provider to basically go back in time to previous versions of whatever this lesson might have been so that it can figure out what to pull out. It's a very useful piece of data that it can send over, and it's unfortunately just not included in the current version of the simulator. Emulator. I keep saying simulator, but that's the wrong word. It's emulator. Emulator, got it. We're, we're actually looking forward to having Sophie on the podcast here in a, in a few weeks. So and I think we're talking about that particular library. So Awesome. Interesting. And then we, I think we also talked about maybe doing a joint episode with the two of you. That could be pretty interesting too. So yeah, maybe cool. that'll happen. <laughs> you know, final uh, question is, you know, do you have any, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking to us about the work you do with Flatiron and about uh, the work you've done with the LTI protocol and on Token Alchemist. Do you have any, you know, final plugs, asks for the audience? where people can reach you, that kind of thing. Anything that yeah. you uh, shamelessly self-promote. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, you can reach me on Twitter or GitHub. I'm Meryl Dakin. And yeah, at Flatiron School, we are growing and looking for awesome new people to join our team. If you are a Ruby or Elixir developer, especially if you're an Elixir developer, we'd love to have you. So yeah, definitely get in touch and come check us out. We're looking for new people all the time. Very cool. Meryl Dakin from Flatiron, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been another episode of Smart Software with Smart Logic talking about Elixir internals. Join us next time for more alchemy.